You're listening to the Hashtag STR Ask podcast with Amy Hall and Greg Kokel. <laughs> I almost got my name wrong there, Greg. <laughs> Wasn't sure if I was going to say your name first or mine. And that would be almost... famous Amos. <laughs> All right. Um, Greg, let's start with a tactical question. This one comes from Nate. I have been reading tactics and I'm really enjoying it. I was just wondering, though, it seems like it's designed to react to something someone says, whether in conversation already or something you overheard or observed about them. But how do you get in conversation with someone to begin with? Yeah, I have that question a lot. And he's right. The uh, the tactical game plan largely is most effective when others are making claims against you as a Christian, or making some claims about some spiritual thing. So I have the, this waitress, and she says, "Oh, the world take uh, the universe takes care of me." Well, what does that mean? You know, and so I got to ask, "What do you mean by that?" Basically, and the, there's a whole conversation we had. It's in the new book, by the way. It's an interesting conversation we had. But there, it was initiated um, because somebody else made the comment, um, and. I get asked, well, how do you get into conversations of a spiritual nature if the other person isn't asking? I think that's the sense of the question. And um, that's quite a bit more difficult. Now, some people are much more aggressive in this than, than I am. And, um, and it isn't like I have all these clever ways of introducing spiritual things. I, I have one suggestion that I'll make, and I actually got it from Jay Warner Wallace, and I think he got it from somebody else. But he used it at a reality once in one of his talks, and I thought, hey, that's a good one. Um, that's a keeper. So uh, I'll, tell, I'll tell that in a moment. But I realized that there are times when I'm talking to other th- people about just whatever, and 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 I'm thinking, well, how can I kind of turn a corner with this a little bit? Uh, and I end up saying something that is not at all clever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm just trying to say something. Well, I, you know, people are complaining about politics or something. I said, that's why it's good that this isn't the only world that we have access to, that this life isn't the only life there is. Oh, well, well, that's not very profound, you know. And uh, they might say, what are you talking about? Or... Or I'll just throw out something, and it, all it is is a little bit of chum, if you're using a fishing example, where you're throwing out stuff in the water and, and uh, see if any fish come around and start nibbling at it, you know. And uh, and that's all I'm doing. I, I'm just thinking, well, if I just kind of breach some aspect of the topic, at least there's something for the Holy Spirit to work with. And it just may be that a person has been thinking about these things, and that I mention it, they might say, I, I've really been thinking about this. This happened once uh, on an airplane, and a gentleman uh, sat next to me, and, and I, I, I didn't, you know, he, I didn't want to get into spiritual conversation, and I didn't think I could relate to him. He's a young guy, and, and, you know, whatever. He's a different cultural slice than me, and, uh, but within a few minutes, maybe five minutes of just making small talk, and that's part of this, just making small talk, showing an interest in people, uh, we ended up talking about spiritual things. And, and I, I'm not exactly sure how we got into it, but I must have said something. And what his response to me was, it really shocked me. He says, you know, I've been thinking a lot about those things lately. In other words, oh, I've been wow. thinking about spiritual things. And so the fact that I just broached something spiritual 
gave him something to respond to and the Holy Spirit to then begin to use in moving the conversation. Once it's moving, for me, it's a lot easier. But I think getting into these conversations, initiating them is a little bit harder. Sometimes I'll ask questions about, just like the witch in Wisconsin, about the jewelry she was wearing, you know, and it was a pentagram and a cultic symbol. Turns out she was a witch. Uh, sometimes it's a book somebody's reading that seems to have spiritual implications. And I'm thinking about the airplane right now, and I'll ask them, hey, is that book good? Yeah, it was a, it was a new agey book. And I said, they talk about Jesus in that book? Oh, yeah, they talk about a lot. I said, have you ever read Jesus for yourself? In other words, have you ever read the primary source documentation about Jesus and not some New Agers twist on it? Well, it turned out that that little conversation went absolutely nowhere, fell right on its face, and the guy wasn't even interested in talking. What do you mean I read Jesus? I said, you know, like in the Gospels. No, I don't read that stuff. You know, and then it was clear he wanted to get back to his reading, and he didn't want to talk to me. Okay, well, I just took a shot. So, the point I'm making is sometimes you just do something, you throw something out and see if it sticks. And you don't try not to sound too weird and not to sound certainly not uh, um, abrupt or unpleasant or unkind or anything like that, but something to kind of, especially if it doesn't have to do with a, some kind of ethical issue like, you know, what do you think about abortion? <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Or all of, yeah, abortionists are going to hell. You know, then this is just. But if you're if you talk about the human condition, refer to that. So, first point is, yeah, that's not always easy, and sometimes for me, it's just silly. It's just hokey, I think. But that sometimes it works. It gives God something to work with. So I'll just take a, I'll take a step and try to introduce some concept, but I, I I have nothing that's really clever, some standard way of doing this, all right? But I was going to suggest what Jay Warner shared once at a reality in one of his talks, and here's the question you can ask, but I'll just role play it as if I were asking someone so someone could see how this would lead into it. If you're having a conversation with somebody, maybe someone you know or somebody you just met but you're conversing, um, uh, here's what you could say. Do you mind if I ask you a question? I mean, it's kind of a personal question. If you don't want to answer, um, that's all right, too. But I've just been thinking about something. I'm curious about your opinion. What do you think? No, go ahead. Ask it. Okay, great. Here's the question that I've been thinking about, all right? What do you think happens when you die? What do you think happens when you die? There you go. Okay, that's spiritual category. You're just getting somebody's opinion. You let them talk. You don't want to make it sound like, I'm just asking this so I can pound you with my Bible. Okay, you want to hear what they have to say. So that is a kind of a what do you mean by that, even though they haven't said anything yet. So you're getting information, you're gathering information about maybe their spiritual view, about something that's really significant, that has crossed everybody's mind at some point. What happens when you die? What do you think happens? Now, if they say, I don't know, and I don't know how anybody can know, I'm going to ask, why would you think nobody could know that? There is a response to their comment but it's a question, and I want them to talk. And then partly in my own mind, I'm thinking, well, I might try to lead to, if there was somebody who came back from the dead, maybe what that person had to say might be significant. So this relates to NDEs, near-death experiences, um, and it also introduces the concept of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus didn't have a near-death experience. He was dead three days in the grave, you know, he was packed with 75 pounds of spices. He was, you know, already already mummif being mummified, you know. 
and he walks out of the grave. Now, that might be a point of contention for them, but this is something to introduce. Well, if it turned out that someone like Jesus actually rose from the dead, and he was dead as a doornail, kind of dead, would that have any implications for the answer to that question? Notice, I, I'm now introducing Jesus, but I'm doing it with a question, tossing the ball in their court. Now, if they say, well, I think I'm going to heaven, or I think that I'm going to be reincarnated, or whatever opinion they give about what they think is going to happen, now it's appropriate to say, I'm curious, why do you think that's what's going to happen? All you're doing is gathering information. You're just being a student of somebody else's view at this point. And just staying a student um, and asking these questions can have a a significant impact on somebody. Um, Because I've seen it happen. Even if you're not taking the initiative to kind of preach in some way your own view, that's the third step of Columbo, using questions to make a point. But if you're using it, and like with this question, you can make a lot of progress, it seems to me, uh, without being particularly clever, just employing your first two Columbo maneuvers and the first two Columbo questions. Now, when I say make a lot of progress, I mean you can make a lot of, you can move a conversation forward and discuss spiritual things. I don't know if that person is going to be responsive in a positive way to what you have to say, or will reject it ultimately. That's up to the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying, I'm trying to do what I can to move the conversation productively forward, you know, and uh, then that, that's, that's motion that God can work with. That's the way I picture it. And, but if there's no motion, if I'm not doing anything, then there's very little for God to work with, for the Holy Spirit to, to um, enter into, so to speak. But if I can get this going and I have a conversation, then it's a little different situation. Yeah. I really like your idea about the, the question about, or your comment about, that's why I'm glad this isn't the only life or that there's oh, another yeah. life. I, the reason why I think that's a really good one is because people are often talking about things that have gone wrong lately. This is a, no matter what a person's political views, their conversation will eventually turn to something that they think is going wrong. Sure. And so, and along those lines, it just occurred to me that maybe a, a comment about justice would also work and mm-hmm. say, well, that's why I'm really, I, I'm glad that there's going to be an ultimate justice. Like, what do you think? Of, do you think that? Like, what do you think about that? <laughs> one day justice is going to be done. It certainly isn't done here. Yeah. And one day it will be. And, of course, Lewis has talked about this. And uh, and and so, um, I mean, I think that's a, you know, that's a great... So justice comes up a lot. And that's something that we can start a conversation about. Because how do you ground justice? Mm-hmm. How do you think it's going to happen? Will it happen? Are you... Do you hope it will happen? That's something that people are desiring that we can offer with Christianity. Well, you know, something else that Lewis pointed out, and I'm, I'm kind of reading back through um, a Weight of Glory, which is a collection of essays, and I'm not sure which uh, particular essay. It might have been Weight of Glory. It might be Transposition. There's a couple, number of them in there. 
but uh, he does. It's a very interesting point. I'd never even thought about it before. That w- what we are teaching people the, the, is that look at this, as you mentioned, this life is not the only life. This life is a preparation for the true utopia, heaven, and and we're getting moving towards that. And secularists think this is the life where that's going to happen. But what the point he made that was interesting is even secularists say that it's not now, but it's in the future. Look at what we can build. Every politician, we're going to even take make America great again. Somewhere in the future, we work now so that we can have something better in the future. Nothing wrong with those kinds of things, but even in a secular sense— Utopia is always out there somewhere that we're moving toward, but we never, ever get there. Not in this life. Such a great observation, because I hadn't thought of it that way. But our worldview is completely consistent with that. Uh, We can work to make our lives better, knowing that ultimately this life is not—nothing in this life is ever going to satisfy. Mm -hmm. I just started reading Ecclesiastes. I read three chapters— very slowly and more thoughtfully, uh, much more, I think, than I have in the past. It was very interesting, those first three, tra- three chapters, you know, Vanity on Vanities. This life, no matter what, is not going to ultimately satisfy. And uh, we go to the dust. Well, we know, we realize that going to the dust is the end of this life, but it's not the end of life. And uh, and so these are all these are all details that could factor in mm-hmm. to a conversation with other people. The idea of hope, the idea of of fulfillment, both are the things people are looking for. You could ask them, how do you keep going when you're discouraged? Mm -hmm. What do you, what is your goal? What are, what are you heading towards? I I, I don't know. There's all sorts of things, but right now people are talking about bigger issues, bigger ideas, justice and hope and goodness and badness. And all, all these things help us in our conversations Mm -hmm. and they're, they will come up. <laughs> well, I'll be the first to admit, and I have already, I'm not—that uh, is not my strong point, okay? I, w- once we're into things, I can kind of work things out, mm-hmm. uh, think of questions, but this one isn't a strong point for me. Other people have their own ways of doing it, and and there's my suggestion that I got from Jim who got it from somebody else, and I think that's one option. But think about things yourself, how you might bring these things up and question people. I think what's really valuable here is forget about preaching. Think about engaging in conversation on critical issues and how do people solve these things. Do you want to know what I think is going to happen? So you have this conversation. You, 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 are you interested in hearing my opinion of how this works out? This isn't the only life we live, Okay. This is preparation for another life, okay? And 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 you know that would be I'd, I'd move into the Christian worldview. The problem is though we're going to have to give an account, and that's not a pretty picture. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the second part of the justice thing. Yeah, justice is great until you realize it's also going to apply to that's you. Right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And these are concepts I develop in the story of reality towards the end of the book. So, a friend of mine who works in the film industry also has a question that he often asks, and I think it's I think it's a good one. He has some form of the question, hey, what did you do last weekend? And then he will move into the idea of, did you go to church? Did you used to go to church when you were young? Or you could move to say, I went to church. I, oh, yeah, did did you go to church? Or did you used to go to church? What's your, what's I don't your experience you anymore. with that? 
<laughs> Why don't you anymore? You know, or something yeah. like that. What I find, that's a really good one. And uh, I find sometimes when I get in these conversations, I'm talking with disaffected Christians. Oh, yeah, I used to go and blah, blah, blah. There's a waitress. Where was I? I, was, I, I can't even remember. But it was after an event. We went out to get a bite to eat, a TGI Fridays or something like that. They're a little open till 11, you know, so one of the few places that after 10 o'clock. And, oh, I used to go, and this waitress says it. And, and I just, I don't know, just really boldly, we were talking to being real friendly and everything. And I said, like, um, um, uh, I'm just Kristen, I'll just give her a name. Kristen, Jesus still wants you. Jesus still wants you. You need him. I just said something like that, but I looked her right in the face. It was very confidently. And so I knew that she had a Christian upbringing or family. Now she's a young adult and she's attracted by a whole bunch of other things and doesn't have time for that. And, and maybe I would have said, and you need him too. I don't know, just something very simple, but it was, it was a straightforward, confident statement to a person that had a Christian background and understood what I was talking about. And I just let it sit there. You know, Greg, when you said, gosh, this brings so many ideas to mind, because when you said that, um, that she's distracted by other things, I think about how young people still think the world's going to make them happy. And like you were saying in Ecclesiastes, it takes a while for them to figure that out. So maybe when they're younger, you got to plant that idea. They have to find out for themselves that these things are not going to make them happy. Right. Maybe it's better... It, when you get to someone who's more middle-aged and they start to realize that things aren't, the world is not going to make them happy. They're not going to find fulfillment here. They're not going to have ultimate fulfillment. It's kind of a shock when people realize that. So the the older the person, the more kind of, I think, in you'll have. Vulnerable yes. they will be uh, to, to life's, uh, co the contingencies of life. And uh, young people don't think they'll ever die. You know, I remember when I was in college at Michigan State University in the early 70s, and I, uh, uh, I, I like Simon and Garfunkel, that's no secret, but uh, there was a line in one of their songs, uh, it's called Bookends, it's about growing old, and they were, at the time, they both were in their 20s, um, and their, the line was, how terribly strange to be 70. It was beautifully written and done, this music, uh, Old Friends is the name of the piece, two guys sitting on a bench, old guys kind of uh, silently sharing, uh, quietly sharing the same years, they got the same history, silently sharing the same fear, which is fear of death. Well, I'm 72, and Simon and Garfunkel, they're ancient. They're still alive, but you, you see pictures, you can't even recognize them, you know, um, just like a lot of old people compared to when they were in their 20s. But... Uh, Young people don't think about that. They, they, that 70? Are you kidding me? I can't even count that high kind of thing until someone of their friends is taken like that, an accident, a uh, disease, and all of a sudden their mortality descends upon them, the sense of their mm -hmm. mortality. So sometimes those are times to take advantage of things. We don't know mm -hmm. when we're going to go. Let's do one more, Greg. This one comes from Seth. What would you say to someone who says, Jesus, the stories in the Bible, its ideas, heaven, hell, are metaphorical. When pressed why a missionary would risk their life for a metaphor, he gives me examples of people who die for ideas every day. Yeah, well, that's true, that last point. Um, but the question I would ask is, what makes you think that these are all metaphors first 
and they're not descriptions of reality. And even if they're metaphors, and this is a really important one here, even if they're metaphors, what are they metaphors of? I just wrote that. Is that what you wrote down, Amy? <laughs> oh, so you've uh, taught me well, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> because even even metaphors are are meant to communicate some literal truth. Some some they're communicating something true. If I say to my wife, "Honey, you are you um, you are a fragrant aroma. You are a." breath of fresh air, you are a sunshine in my life. Okay, these are all figures of speech, but what am I communicating? I'm communicating something about the pleasure and the satisfaction and the sweetness that she brings into my life. Okay, those are the real things I'm describing with the metaphor. So if heaven and hell are metaphors, first, I would want to know why someone thinks that given the writings that these terms are found in. Okay, so when when the text says, where there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth, okay, um, I don't, I don't, I don't take that literally. I don't know that people are going to be. Maybe they will be, but let's just say that's a metaphor. It's a metaphor of absolute and extreme agony. Okay, so the wailing and gnashing of teeth may be a figure of speech, but the point it's trying to convey is the agony of hell. Now, why would you take hell? as a metaphor, when we have these kinds of terms that are meant to describe it, and we are being warned about it. Don't fear him who can, don't fear him who can kill the body and not the soul, Matthew 10. Fear him who can throw both body and soul into hell. All right, so hell's not real. Oh, it's not? No, it's just a metaphor. Okay, what are we supposed to be afraid of? Jesus saying we should be fearing, not people who can kill us, but someone else who can do worse. Okay, what's the metaphor signifying? I, I, I never get this appeal, oh, that's just metaphoric, that's just metaphoric. Of what? And why would you think that's just a mere metaphor and not signifying, well, in the case of hell, hell is a real place? A real state of existence, if you will. If you don't want to say a place like it's it's a location, you know, like Houston, Texas, that's hell, man, in the summer. <laughs> Just talk about the weather. Anyway, the, <laughs> we don't mean it that way. This is talking about a, a state of existence. Okay, why would that not be, like, really unpleasant? You don't want to be in that state of existence, given the record. Uh, so the, the here is the key in this particular challenge, Amy, uh, at least the first part of it, that's just a metaphor. It's their job to demonstrate it's a metaphor. It's not our job to prove it's not, because they're making the claim, second step of the Colombo game plan. The person who makes the claim bears the burden of proof. That's why I want to go and say, why, why, mm-hmm. why do you think it's a metaphor? Let's go to the text. Okay, why would you think this is not speaking about some real feature of the world? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. All right, it's a metaphor. What's it a metaphor of? That's your second step. And by the way, that's just another clarification question. That's still Columbo number one. Okay, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. It's not even a rationale. Um, so it's, 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 um, it's, you know, it's... The burden is on them. Don't give them a free ride, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those two questions are 
really crucial here. What do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? Mm -hmm. Because until you know that, I don't even know where I would take this exactly. Mm -hmm. It depends on what they say. And it depends. I, I like your question asking, have you ever read... Have you ever read the the documents? Mm -hmm. Because I think once you do that, you can see it's not written like a fairy tale. Right. And especially back then, they didn't write detailed fictional novels back then. It no. just wasn't a thing. Um, the the way was it Lewis who said that that really impressed him? It might have been him, where he because he was used to reading all of these these ancient yes and, right that was his field. So when he read the New Testament, all of a sudden he, he was saying, this, this is not the it's same not, thing. It's, it's not, not the same, same kind of literature. It's the, exactly. He, he said, I know mythology. This isn't mythology. So was it Lewis? I, yeah, I hope Lewis I remember it right. Okay. Point. Yeah, okay. he made that point. Yeah. And now the, the point was, as to the, was regarding the genre. Okay. Now, whether it's true or not mm -hmm. accurate, that's another question. But he's saying you can't just dismiss this as mythology. Because it that's not the kind of thing. It, it's ancient biography. Now, maybe it's not accurate. That's another question. But it's not mythology. Okay. And it's not it's a metaphor. <laughs> it's, it's exactly. And by the way, when you read it, now, who is um, um, our friend Guillaume Bignon, who mm -hmm. wrote the book? Uh, Confessions of a French Atheist. Yes, that's right. And we've had him on the air before. But uh, this was a feature of his own testimony because uh, he decided he was trying to disprove Christianity so that he could get the girl, basically, who was a Christian. And so he began to read the New Testament and the Gospels. And first thing that appeared to him, occurred to him is this, this, this is history. I'm reading history. I know what that looks like. All right. And the second thing that occurred to him is that Jesus was really smart. He's a pretty clever guy. You know, so, uh, yeah, if you read the text, it's going to be very hard for you to dismiss it as such. And, and But this other point of even metaphor is meant to commit a literal truth. Metaphors have to be understand, understood in their, in their literal meaning before they can be leveraged into a figure of speech. So I'll make an application. It's controversial now, but I just want people to think about that. So in Genesis chapter 1, it says, and uh, the first day, and the second day, and the third day, and the fourth day, okay? Um, or morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening, okay? Uh, well, people want to say, well, that's a literal solar day. How can it be anything? It, it, a day is a day. There, There's the word right there. Well, that doesn't solve... Saying what the word day means, literally, yom, doesn't solve the question, answer the question, of whether this word is being pressed into service for a, a, as a figure of speech. Because first you must understand the literal sense of the word before it's useful. So I mentioned a few moments ago about my wife being a ray of sunshine. Well, I can only, if you don't understand what a ray of sunshine actually is, in its literal sense, you cannot you cannot see the the figurative way it's being used in this sentence. So so just looking at the word and saying literal doesn't answer the interpretive problem. You have to see how the word is being used in the flow of thought and in the context of a passage. Now people could still dispute my take on that. It, that's not the point. I do think this point, though, that I just made is often overlooked in discussions on things like Genesis chapter 1, is that is what is the nature of the, 
the language there? What is the structure of the of of the piece, that first chapter? And is are are we being instructed to take it as a as an historical account in a straightforward fashion, or does it seem maybe if something else is being done there? And just saying the word yam means day doesn't solve the problem. You've got to see how that word is being used in the context and if it's being pressed into service as a figure or not. Well, thank you, Greg, and thank you, Nate and Seth. We appreciate hearing from you. If you have a question, send it on Twitter with the hashtag STRask, or you can go to our website, go to our podcast page, and go to hashtag STRask, and you'll see a link there. You can send us a question. Just keep it short. That's all we ask. It should be about the size of a tweet, which is only a couple of sentences. But our answers are not going to be short. We are not going to return the favor. <laughs> well, yeah, and you guys have been doing great at this. The, yeah. Most of the questions I've been getting are just the right size. So thank you for that, and we look forward to hearing from you again. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. <laughs>